0: This morning, we come to the fifth of these fruit of the Spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit that is kindness. Let's remind ourselves very quickly of the first four. The first three in Paul's list of fruit of the Spirit are kind of a triplet, love, joy, and peace. They, they come together. Uh, Jesus linked them closely in his own teaching. If you flick with me, the first place I'd like you to flick to is John chapter 14, So this part of John's gospel records Jesus' conversation with his disciples in the upper room. And what we find when we're in this most intimate and fundamental of conversations that Jesus has with his disciples is that he talks about, well, first of all, peace. Look at chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In John 15, he begins to talk about love. Verses 9 and 10 As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Verse 11 of chapter 15, he moves very naturally to speak of joy. I've told you this so that you may have joy my joy in you and that your joy may be complete so for Jesus peace and love and joy go together we shouldn't be surprised then that for Paul love joy and peace also come together folks the truth is that any person who who even begins to grasp the depth of God's love for them who even begins to grasp that knows what it is to to live a loved life and what what happens for that person is that a, a sense of peace settles on them their, their circumstances can't change it and, and a joy comes along with it love joy peace those first three fruit of the Spirit, we've said that they go together. We might also say that they sound a little bit like they're, they're very spiritual terms, heavenly almost, the kind of thing that makes sense of church and Sundays. But Paul's next fruit of the Spirit, the one that Neil dealt with last week, brings us back down to earth on a Monday morning. The fruit of the Spirit is patience, or as the NIV puts it, forbearance. It's all very well going to church and thinking about the love and the joy and the peace that you're experiencing, but what are we like to live with for the rest of the week? How do I cope with all that presses in on me and the hustle and the hassle of life? Do I have patience? The word that Paul uses here for patience literally means long-tempered, In some of our old translations, it was translated long-suffering, and that's a a good term. More recently, it's been translated as forbearance, and you'll see that's what the NIV has done. Both of those two terms are very helpful, long-suffering and forbearance. We need to have the ability to to suffer and, and to do so for more than short periods of time. We need that kind of patience to be growing in us. We need the ability to put up with the weaknesses and the foibles of other people, including other believers. We need to learn to bear with people. We need forbearance. So that's patience, the fourth fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering forbearance. Patience sounds like a really demanding thing. Like it's a, it's a real struggle to try and be patient. It sounds like a tough kind of a fruit of the spirit. Well, this, this next one that we're looking at this morning, kindness is a tender one. It's interesting that Paul puts kindness straight after patience. Uh, maybe it's because he saw them both as an outworking of love. Do you remember how he begins in 1 Corinthians 13? His famous poem about love. Love is what? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's so true, isn't it? When, when we love a person, our patience for them rises. When we love a person, acts of kindness come more easily. Throughout this series, I've found it always useful to try and define the term that we're looking at on a particular day when we come to each fruit of the Spirit. So what then is kindness? Uh, We might come up with a, a load of different definitions of that. When he's teaching on kindness as a fruit of the Spirit, Chris Wright says, the essence of kindness is being thoughtful for others more than for myself in any particular situation. To be kind means to want to help others, to encourage or comfort them, to do something that serves or benefits them. In order to be kind to someone else, I need to put myself in their shoes and think what I would most want or need them to do for me, and then go and do it for them. Kindness, says Wright, seems very close to what Jesus meant when he said that we should do for others whatever we wish others would do for us. If we run with Wright's definition, then we'd say that kindness can be as simple as a pleasant word or a well-timed smile of encouragement, but that it it usually is going to move beyond that to, to being willing to actually do something or to take some action, something that helps somebody even if it's inconvenient to me when someone's willing to use some of their precious time or their energy to to help me out in a difficulty I find myself in or in a c- confusing situation they are being kind so kindness then it, it goes beyond duty we we do something that we don't have to do but we we choose to do it kindness goes beyond reward it means doing something that we won't be paid for. In fact, real kindness usually costs us something and doesn't expect any reward. Where kindness is is always for its own sake and for the sake of the other person. So that's what we want to think about for a few moments this morning, the fruit of the Spirit that is kindness. I'm going to use a really simple structure to talk about kindness. We're gonna talk about God's kindness and the kindness of God's people, and then Jesus' kindness and the kindness of Jesus' followers. So first of all, let's remind ourselves of God's kindness. The Old Testament has loads of examples of people celebrating the kindness of God. and, And there's a beautiful Hebrew word, maybe you know it. If not, Let's get to know what's here today. The word is Hesed. It's right up there in the top five Hebrew words I would want you to know. All right? It's right up there with Tov, which speaks of that goodness that God built into creation. It's right there with shalom, that utter sense of peace and well being that God wants to restore to his creation. Well, this word hesed, it's often translated as love, sometimes as loyalty or mercy or compassion. One of the older ways of translating hesed was loving kindness. So those of you who grew up reading the King James Version will have grown up hearing about and talking about the loving kindness of God often we translate it simply as kindness but whenever we're talking about this kindness in relation to god it's different than just another person's kindness when god acts in kindness it has an added dimension it means that god is being faithful to his covenant promises he's paying careful attention to our needs he's acting in generous and merciful love he's providing generously for our every blessing and benefit. Isn't "hesed" a a beautiful word? Isn't our God a beautiful God? Turn with me to Psalm 23. This is the next of the passages I want you to look at with me briefly this morning. Psalm 23, it's on page 555. As soon as you hear me talk about Psalm 23, many of you are saying, ah, I know that passage. I could take you to lots of passages to think more deeply with you about God's chesed, but I've chosen to take you to this one, one of the best known of all. Look at the closing verse of Psalm 23. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where the NIV has written love, the Hebrew text speaks of God's hesed. His hesed, his loving kindness, his absolute commitment to my well-being is going to follow me unrelentingly every day of my life. The, The psalmist says it's going gonna, it's gonna to follow me until it brings me home to my father's house. Isn't that just beautiful? There's a picture to take with you today. God's loving kindness hot on your heels and you're not going to outrun it. Tell me this. Do you, do you know of God's hazard in your life? You know of his loving kindness following you in your day-to-day whatever those day-to-day circumstances might be it's my prayer that you do the more that you know and experience god's kindness to you the more he will release something in you that allows you to pass on kindness to others some of you were here with us on thursday for our service of thanksgiving or the life of Annette Morrow. Uh, On that occasion, we remembered Annette, what a caring and loving person she was, how she would do anything for other people. We remembered the source of her kindness, her absolute confidence in the goodness and kindness of God. Her final clear words to her son and her daughter were these. God has been so good. To me. I don't want to hang around any longer. She was so sure of the goodness and the love of God that's following her, so sure that she wanted to go and to be in the house of the Lord forever. The kindness of God. The same Bible which talks in such alluring terms about the kindness of God talks also about the kindness of God's people. And that makes sense. If our God is a kind God, then those who who claim to know him and to worship him must be growing into kind people. Let's take a moment to meet some of the kind people in God's word. Flick with me to the book of Ruth. Page 267, this time of your pew Bibles. The book tells the story of Naomi, a woman who left Israel with her husband and her two sons in a time of famine. Her husband and both sons were told in the story die And it's in these tragic circumstances that we see the first of these remarkable acts of kindness. Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, shows amazing and self-sacrificial kindness. Whenever Naomi chooses to leave the land of Moab, of her exile, and to return home to Bethlehem, Ruth refuses to let her go alone. There's an outburst of loyalty to her her mother-in-law from Ruth, which is one of the most remarkable speeches in the Bible. Have a look, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. What kindness this young woman shows to leave with her mother-in-law and go to live in a foreign country for her good. It's then the turn of a local landowner in the village of Bethlehem to show kindness to Naomi and Ruth. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. We read there Naomi's response When Ruth tells her of Boaz's kindness, he's allowed her to glean in his fields. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He hasn't stopped showing his kindness, his hesed to the living and the dead. So Ruth has shown kindness to Naomi. Boaz has shown kindness to both of them and to the wider family. And then Ruth shows kindness to Boaz. How does she do that? Well, it's in the the love interest part of this story. It develops when Ruth goes to offer herself to Boaz in marriage. Uh, There's a couple of things that are remarkable about this offer that she makes. First of all, he's considerably older than her. And she might have been expected to set her sights on younger men. And the second thing is that he's a relative of Naomi's. So their marriage and any son born to them would would restore the, the loss of a son and the male heir that Naomi's experienced through the loss of her husband and her two sons. Look at how Boaz responds to Ruth's kindness. Chapter three, verses 10 and 11. He said, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness, this hesed." is greater than that which you showed earlier. You haven't run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. This book of Ruth is a story of Hesed from beginning to end. Israel's God is a kind God and the people of the god of israel it turns out are kind people ruth and boaz show us what it looks like in real life both of them go beyond what's normal and what's conventional both go beyond what would be expected of them in their culture both of them take considerable risks but they do it in order to show kindness exactly like god Folks, if we had time, I'd take you to another of the great stories of kindness in the Old Testament, David's kindness to Mephibosheth, uh, the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul. Some of you were here on Sunday night three weeks ago, and you had a chance to, to reflect on that very story as Neil was preaching from 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you read that story carefully, if you weren't here that night, have a look at it. If you read that story carefully, you'll notice that David's actions are presented out of his desire to show hesed, to show loving kindness to to Saul's descendants, and then his willingness to push through and to actually do it. It's a story, a staggering story of kindness, kindness that shows Folks, the old testament as a whole shows us two two absolutely crucial truths about kindness first of all that hesed or kindness is intrinsic to the character of god it's who he is and second because it's intrinsic to the character of god it's a natural characteristic of the people of god We've thought about the kindness of God and the kindness of God's people. Let's think for a moment about the kindness of Jesus. Let me just state the obvious. If I tried to share even a fraction with you of what could be said about the kindness of Jesus, I'd I'd need a whole series to, to begin to do that. What I'm going to do this morning is to share rather one insight that I received again from Chris Wright. Uh, and it's challenged me about the nature of Jesus' kindness. Wright says that Jesus' kindness recorded for us in the Gospels often took the form of allowing himself to be interrupted. Now, this is interesting. So many of the things that Jesus said or did in the Gospel stories happened because somebody interrupted him in, in the middle of what he was actually doing or a journey that he was on, or a visit that he was making, or a meal that he was having. But what we notice is that Jesus responds to these interruptions, not with irritation, not dismissing the person, but with kindness and warmth. In many cases, he shows kindness to to the very kind of people that everyone else has written off, as as set aside, as, as worthless. So there's that day when he's in such a hurry to go to the bed of Jairus' daughter, and on the way he's interrupted by that woman with a flow of blood. Think of the parents bringing Jesus, bringing their children, sorry, to Jesus for him to bless them. He's doing the really important work, teaching the word, discipling his disciples, and then there are children in the midst. Think of blind Bartimaeus shouting, shouting, continuing to shout over the crowd. Nobody gives him the time of day, but Jesus says stop and goes to Bartimaeus. Think of the Syrophoenician woman who wouldn't take no for an answer. Think of the woman who anointed his feet at a meal and scandalized the guests there that day. Even in his agonizing death on the cross, Jesus allows himself to be interrupted to be sure of the welfare of his mother, Mary. And after his resurrection, he knew that his hungry fishermen had been out fishing all night, needed a good breakfast. So he he grilled them some fish. In the second passage we read this morning from Paul's letter to Titus, Paul describes the saving work of Jesus as his greatest act of kindness. In chapter 3, verse 3, he's speaking of the mess that the world's in, that we found ourselves in. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. But when the kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' life on this earth was full of interruptions, full of acts of kindness. We've already said that. But his coming into this world at all was the greatest interruption. The life of hardship that he lived, the greatest inconvenience. The God of heaven and earth comes and lives as a peasant and, and suffers abuse at the hands of men as he gives himself finally on the cross he's paying the greatest cost folks Jesus Christ has shown us kindness upon kindness upon kindness ultimately as he died for us in our place Lord, that ki- folks that kindness is for you I hope you know that God is kind, and he's demonstrated that kindness in Jesus Christ. Folks, as I've been thinking about Jesus' kindness this week, it's challenged me deeply. You see, I want to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. I want to live like Jesus lived, and I'm, I'm left asking myself, why do I struggle, and why do I fail to show kindness to others in daily life. Often it's because I'm too busy and I don't want to be interrupted. I've got things to do, people to see. I'm out and about. I'm going somewhere. I have an agenda. I have a schedule and my time is precious. I'm not willing to let my life be interrupted in order to show kindness to other people. At that point, I am deeply unlike Jesus. Sometimes I fail to be kind to other people because I'm I'm self-protective. If I give up this time, then there won't be enough time. If I give up this money, then then the money's going to run out. If I give up this energy, then I won't have any energy left. And while I live like that, every moment I'm imagining a God of scarcity. When I claim to follow the God revealed to us in Scripture and in Jesus Christ, a God of abundance, a God of overflow. There's kindness enough to go around, if only I could see it. Folks, we've thought of God's kindness, the kindness of God's people. We've thought of Jesus' kindness. Let's think briefly in closing about the kindness Jesus wants to grow in his followers. But maybe particularly why that matters. Kindness in a church community matters enormously. The kindness of God's people makes it easier for people to believe let me speak from experience when i see god's kindness in his people it it draws me to god i find myself saying the way that person lives that's the kind of person i want to to believe in the kind of person i want to obey the kindness of the followers of jesus makes it easier for me to To want to keep following jesus day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year i see this kindness lived out before me and i find myself wanting to emulate these people to to pass his kindness on as they do to others perhaps you have had that experience while my experience tells me that the presence of kindness in a church makes it easier to to believe in God. Experience tells me too that the absence of kindness in a church family is enormously harmful to the gospel. It does great damage to our gospel preaching and our witness, no matter how much we emphasize both of those things, no matter how much we we pride ourselves in them. It, It leaves the onlooker who's heard our words but whom we have hurt, saying to themselves, they talk about God's love, but I don't see it in them. They talk about a God who forgives, but they can't even forgive each other, never mind somebody beyond their community. They talk about the healing that God brings, but their community breaks more people than it helps. And all the while, our lack of kindness drives people away from the love, the loving kindness of our hesed God. What a tragedy. Friends, I don't say this lightly, but I must say it. Bangor is full of people who've been hurt by churches and hurt by the lack of kindness they've experienced in those churches. In some cases, they have been hurt by the lack of kindness they found here in Hamilton Road. That breaks my heart, and I'm sure it breaks yours too. Folks, praise God for His grace, His kindness to us. One of the forms of His kindness to us is His his forgiveness, his ongoing grace, even when we have failed him in the past. Praise God for the, the, the future that he invites us into, the, the fruit of his spirit that he wants to grow in us, the fruit of kindness. Folks, for every time that the church could drive a person away from God with our lack of kindness, we have an opportunity to do the opposite. Dame Edna Roddick, the founder of the body shop, she once said, the end result of kindness is that it draws people to you. Isn't that wonderful? Imagine people being drawn to Hamilton Road because of the kindness of have experienced here or the reputation for kindness that's growing here. Wouldn't that be fabulous? And imagine the surprise of the people when they come here and they discover that the kindness isn't ours at all, they discover that we're not really any nicer than anybody else. We're just like them. But there's a a kindness that God's giving to us, that he's growing in us. It's simply an expression of our lives as an, an apprentice of Jesus. It's simply a fruit of the Spirit growing in us. Folks, when I introduced this series at the start of the summer, I finished the first sermon with a question and a challenge for me and for you. I asked you, would you be willing to invite God to grow your character at this point in your life? Could we pray that God would give us more of His Spirit, make us more like Jesus, and today in particular, Maybe you'd join me in praying that God would give us a greater kindness. I've been praying that this week. I know I need it. And maybe you know it too. Let's pray. Lord, it's been good for us this morning to be in your word, to remember your loving kindness and how it pursues us. It's not something before us out of our reach, but it pursues us and it won't let us go. Lord, let us know it. Some of us don't know it today. Open our eyes, soften our hearts. Let us receive your loving kindness. And Lord, as we see your kindness expressed in Jesus, in his life, in his death, Lord, we pray that as faithful followers of Jesus, we we would not be content until we know that we're every bit as kind as you could possibly make us. So Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your Spirit on us and today particularly for greater kindness. Help us to practice it today, right now. We pray it in Jesus' name.